This week's mountain bike podcast presented by GMBN, uh, and we're sat on the beach. I'm with Paul Aston. A uh, bit of an industry chat, this one, this podcast, about all sorts of cool bike stuff, about Finale, because we're in Italy, Finale Ligura. Um, but Paul, let the people know who you are. Uh, I'm Paul Aston. I'm a mountain biker, been in the mountain bike industry for 22, 23 years as a rider, racer, um, guide, mountain bike guide, coach. Uh, more recently working for Pink Bike as a technical editor for about five years. It's quite funny that I think that's quite a common thing across the industry is a lot of people have worn a lot of hats, like being yep. a racer, being a coach, worked in a bike shop probably. Have you ever worked in a bike shop? I did work experience in a bike shop yeah, when me I too, was actually. 15 or 16. That was probably the start of yeah. really getting into it. But you're living here in Finale Ligura in Italy. How long have you yep. been here? About two and a half years. Okay. Sort of on and off. I think I've been here every year for 12 years or 13 years. So I met you through racing and I remember that you used to, you were one of the first British people I remember to go and race before the Enduro World Series, some of the like Italian and French stuff. Yeah. So when was that? That was, you know, the really early days of Enduro racing, I uh, suppose. Yeah. For me, 2012, I think. Okay. I've done a a season in Whistler the year before as a guide and a, a coach. And then I really wanted to get back into the racing. I could see that the enduro stuff was sort of picking up and getting more popular. But there wasn't really anything anything in the UK to, to go and do. So yeah, got my camper van or my old converted sprinter and just yeah. threw everything in the back and drove out trying to find some good races. And you see a lot, Finale is pretty big for that sort of thing. You get yeah. like the, the gypsies of mountain biking, that's not the right word, you know what I mean? Like people <laughs> that just live out of a van and they sort of work their way from Germany, Switzerland, lots of Brits, and they find their way here and yeah. some of them stay. And it's such, there's a big scene, especially for Brits in Fanai Ligura. But what attracts people to this place? Uh, for me, the, the weather is really good. <laughs> you can ride all year round. So uh, I spent a few years living in Morzine in France, which is great in the summer, but in the winter you just can't ride too much snow. So here you can ride all year round. Really good trails, yeah, like I said, good weather, um, relatively cheap. Uh, is there a mountain bike season here where it gets super popular or is it all year round? Yeah, spring and autumn are the most popular by far. Right. And then winter and summer, uh, Sort of less less serious mountain bikers, but you still get still get a lot of people here. Um, it's quite funny now to see in the winter. There's a lot of I guess German, Swiss, Austrian people. Yeah, they must ski and mountain bike. And if you check in the weather forecast, if it's crappy weather and icy in the Alps and down sunny in. down here, they'll come down. If it's raining here and dumping powder in the Alps, there'll be no one here. It's, I've been here, uh, I think, three or four years in a row, and I've definitely seen it, and that's quite a short time, obviously. The scene's been here for a long time. But this year, we've, uh, we're up the NATO base yesterday, where a lot of the uplifts go, and it's crazy the amount, compared to three years ago, I think, the amount of vans that are going <coughs> up there, and from all around Europe as well, pretty much, and yeah. American riders on these vans. But it's pretty amazing to see how many riders on a, what was it, Wednesday, Thursday afternoon, yeah. are riding their bikes. Have you seen it really expand? Yeah, so I worked here as a guide 
in 2010, I think. And back then there was three companies, and our company had four vans, another one had two vans, and there's a bed and breakfast with one van. So that's seven, seven vans. And uh, last year I heard there were 55 official vans. Whoa. And there's even more this year. Yeah, I think uh, one of the guys saying the bike shop had 12 vans run or something, or yeah. could run 12 vans yeah. instead of them, but crazy. So yeah, that's just the official vans, and then there's unofficial vans, yeah. people shuttling themselves, uh, people e-biking up, people riding up. And it's kind of organised, like the way we had a rain day, and officially shuttles don't run on rain day. Yeah. I quite like the way it is organised like that, but where do you see it going? Is that sustainable, getting more and more vans every year? Now, there's got to be a cutoff limit. And uh, I have heard a lot of companies or people that own companies uh, complaining this autumn that there's not as much work as usual. Right, okay. Um, and I don't know if that's just because it's been diluted between a lot more people, so they think there's less work, or if people are going elsewhere. There's a lot of other towns and cities and bike resorts all over Europe that are really popular. Yeah. Pushing mountain biking, opening lifts longer, building more trails, getting more shuttles. So there's more and more choice all the time. It does feel a little bit like no, it's not a monopoly, but Finale has got you know, the lion's share of like the Riviera. There's a huge amount of riding here that you don't have yeah. to go too far down the road to San Remo and some pretty uh, legendary trails over there. Yeah. But Finale is such a bigger scene that eventually, I suppose, it's going to spread out a bit and yeah. who knows. But what, what do you think the locals think about it? That's one thing I thought, is just seeing so many vans going up the hill, that must cause some issues as well, where locals trying to get on with their, local, with their normal business. Yeah, it's definitely a, business. can be a lot of traffic. Um, but most of the roads that they use for shuttling aren't very busy anyway. Yeah, right, okay. They're not like shuttling up and down the main, the main strip all day. So. And there's lots of enduro bikes, I guess. I've seen, you know, yep. mainly, you know, 160 mil bikes probably, 29s. A lot of e-bikes, definitely yep. seeing the rise of people choosing to just winch themselves up the road and it's yep. a good place to do it. Where do you think that's going? It's funny, I spoke to a guy yesterday who uh, was a guide and he was saying that the locals running the uplift vans aren't that stoked on it, obviously, because that's going to take away from... Yep. It's weird, to me it looks like, you know, if you can take a van off the road, there's got to be another way to cater for these yeah. riders and earn a bit of you know money yeah you just need to the same with any anything in life you just have to evolve and the e-bikes are coming so if i was a shuttle company instead of being worried about the e-bikes coming i'd try and cater to them maybe drive them up in the morning arrange a second battery stop or charge location yeah. for lunch and then yeah just guide guide people around and do two shuttles a day instead of Five. There's got to be a way of opening up more trails. That's the thing. Like I've raced the enduro here once or twice, and like often when we come for filming purposes, we sort of stick to the, the trails we know we can get there easily. But on those races, you get out a bit further out, back and beyond. There's so many trails. There's such a variety that it always seems to expand every year. You see the trail map, and there's something new. But is that like a planned thing? There must be a, some like some people building the trails, that are, are they full-time or looking after them? Uh, I'm not really sure at the moment. It seems to change every year. There's uh, different organisations or different people taking control. Um, there's definitely trail builders. Um, 
The biggest push in the last couple of years has been from Pietro Ligure, which is the next town yeah. along the coast. Maybe they were getting a bit jealous of all the tourism business coming here and they've really pushed um, the last two years and built a bunch of trails on Monte Carmo right. and Malogno down to yeah, Pietro and Giustenici. Um, that's where most of the new stuff is. So you moved here for riding, obviously, and for how many years you worked for Pinkbike? Uh, nearly five. And that was sort of technical stuff, so yep. testing bikes. And I guess it's a great location for doing that sort of thing. Yeah. What about loads the... of sharp rocks? Yeah, <laughs> we'll get on to that in a minute. <laughs> what about bikes? How have you seen that evolve? Did you test bikes here and think it just isn't designed for this place? Uh, I think when I started testing, we were starting to get some really good stuff yeah. for this kind of terrain. But yeah, when I first started coming here, we were, yeah, well, you could ride a downhill bike or an XC bike and enduro bikes didn't really exist. Yeah, right. So you could bomb down on your downhill bike and end up pushing it or grinding up some short climbs, stud up, or you could ride like an XC bike and try and mod it with some downhill tires and some yeah. bigger brakes to try and make it strong enough to handle the trails. I think I've seen two, two downhill bikes this week and one of them was an e-bike with a triple clamp fork on it. Yeah, yeah. Not so many downhill bikes. See, I think when I started working at Pink Bike, and when I started to come to live here, we had pretty good, pretty good bikes at the time. Yeah, 160, 29s were coming in. Pretty good geometry. What, what would be your bike of choice, a long travel 29er? Yeah, obviously now I'm, could be seen as biased as I work for <laughs> Nikolai bikes. So yeah, you want at least, I think at least 160 travel. Yeah. Travel doesn't really weigh anything, so you might as well have 160, 170, 180. What do you think about the whole weight thing? You know, for, well, since mountain biking have started, it was all about getting a lighter bike. And many people market their bikes on being lighter, X percent lighter or stiffer than last year's. But do you think, is that something you consider when you're choosing a bike? No, not, not at all. The only time I ever weigh the bikes is if I need to take a picture or yeah. um, get a specific weight for a test article, but I rarely weigh anything myself. But you don't feel like you'd rather pedal a, a rather a lighter bike up the hill or you just, you'd rather just ride that bike that works down the hill and whatever? Yeah, I just want a bike that's going to get to the bottom of the hill yeah. and still be working. It doesn't matter how light and efficient your bike is if you're pushing it. You definitely test tires and wheels here in Finale. It's funny, uh, so one of your final things you did for Pinkbot was that MV review that I yeah. read, and obviously it's one of those, it just went off in the comments, because you uh, had issues breaking carbon rims and mm. replacing them. How did that sort of go down within like the industry, and what sort of feedback did you get from that, that article? I got a hell of a lot of feedback from that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, 50 private messages and yeah, people seeing me at the next event or next next time I saw them like stopping me and saying, whoa, can't believe, can't believe you published that. <laughs> but to be fair with Envy, they were completely okay with it. Yeah. Um, and they had about a month to respond. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and they were completely happy. They. They said, yeah, you can publish it. Uh, well, that's good of them. I mean, it's cool that, you know, that they get the rights responding. That's the important thing is someone gets to defend their product yeah. or tell you why there might have been an issue. But 
Yeah, something in the past, I've definitely had issues with carbon rims, especially racing. Um, yeah. do you, would you choose to run carbon rims now? <laughs> I'm actually testing some at the moment. Yeah. I can't name who they're from. And I did weigh them. They're 1,500 grams for a pair of 29ers. Yeah. And I've done about seven days so far, and they're unbroken, so <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll change my mind. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've broke tons of them in the past, and I just never really see the point. They're either really expensive, really stiff, or just too fragile. And yeah. For uh, me and my kind of riding, the alloy wheels always. Well, that's it. They, they suit definitely some type of riding. Of course, you know, cross-country riders probably using them. I think, what you think about them being wider, that's got to help, you know, gone are the old days of like your 25mm wide rims, carbon rims. Yeah, wider does help, but also they generally get stiffer and stiffer the wider you make them. Right, okay, the, yeah, bigger yeah. The, the bigger the box section, the stiffer they get. Mm. Um, really interested in the new zip wheels. Yeah, right. With the synthesis. The uh, ankle or elbow, do they call them? Then they say yeah. sort of twist, yeah. If you get one of those zip rims in your hands, you can almost like twist it in your hands. And that's. With the normal carbon wheels, just yeah. solid. Right, okay. And the, you know, stiffer isn't always better, as we know, but mm. I, you definitely, you know, you, you want your wheel probably more than anything to sort of mold a little bit as you ride yeah. around terrain. Yeah, I've heard really good stuff about the zip wheels. Some people say it's almost feels like you have a puncture in some areas. Yeah, right. Like you're bombing into rock sections and expecting to like ping off things. And it's just almost feels like a puncture because it's so, so compliant. But I haven't tried any yet. So what is your role now at Nikolai? Wow. There's a, so it's a really small company, so there's a whole range of roles, I guess. Brand ambassador would be the main one. Yeah. Um, so this summer, or this year since April, I've been taking members of the public out on test rides, people who are interested in Nikolai. Maybe they're not sure about the geometry or which size they want to get, or maybe they've never seen one in the flesh. Uh, I can meet up with them and set the bike up for them, take them for a ride. Nikolai, one of those companies that have really sort of pushed hard on changing geometry, and you look at the yep. shape of a Nikolai bike, it is sort of where everyone's going, but... Yep. Um, where do you think that stops? Like... I can't see, and I think the guys at Nikolai will agree that, and uh, at Geometron in the UK, they'll agree that um, we've pretty much hit the limit. Okay, right. Like we've, a few of us have tried going past the limit and different angles, and we've ended, come, ended up coming back to... Sort of. What would you choose then as far as, you know, reach is a big one for me. So let's say reach and head angle, what would you have? So my bike is 515 reach. Okay. Uh, I have been riding the, the longer one, the extra large, which is 535. How tall are you? Pretty tall. Um, 185. Okay. With 195 monkey arms. <laughs> okay. A plus 10 centimeter ape index. Whoa. Yeah. Don't know my open. It's really easy to touch my toes. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm really flexible. And what about head angle? Do you think slack is always better? Or say again, it comes down to a lot of different things. Like fork offset has changed. You know, it's been moving around quite a lot yeah. the last couple of years as well. So shorter fork offsets. Yeah. So my bike is 62 degree head angle, roughly. Whoa. Yeah, it's pretty slight. Um, but yeah, 44 mil offset, 180 fork. 
35 mil stem. But I've also been running the SQ Lab uh, 16 degree back sweep bars. Okay, right. Almost like shopper bike handlebars. Oh, well, yeah. So I'm, I've been measuring from the center of my grips, running like a string line yeah. uh, over the steerer tube. And if you run a line, that line, it's almost exactly in the center of the steerer tube. So you get really sensitive steering. Right. So even though it's really slack and people think it's going to be lazy and long, you've got the most sensitive steering because that line's dead That's in pretty interesting. So your, your reach is, is exactly your reach because that's where your hands are right in the center of the steering tube. Yeah, tube almost. Much. Obviously, it changes a little bit with the head angle and the bar height. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, when you can get the steering like that, it feels incredible, really sensitive. You've got one hand moving back while the other hand's moving forward. Right. Rather than with a longer stem, you're sort of moving. Yeah, right. In like an arc where this is hmm, that's interesting. pivoting on the, on the turning point. What about mallet bikes? We've seen them a lot. We saw, we saw it at the EWS with Martin Mays, and I, th I think almost entirely you could ride a 29er. Yeah. But then we've seen it be really popular and work at the, on the Dino World Cup. Yeah. What's your opinion on mallet bikes? I've been riding that the last few weeks, and I've rode it a lot over the last few years on e-bikes. I think if you're a racer and your sponsor doesn't have a 29er, it's a great idea. It's easy to just stick a fork in a wheel. Because on. at least having the front wheel, uh, the bigger front wheel, I'm sure it's faster, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Everyone will agree. If you're a shorter rider, it's a good idea. So like Louis Bruni's running yeah. uh, the mix. If your bike doesn't corner very well, it improves cornering, okay. I think. Um, but yeah, I've been riding both. I'm, I'm mostly happy with the 29. Our bikes corner really well. You can sort of make it a bit better than mullet, but yeah, I prefer just to keep it. And that would be a, 20, a 29er bike where you just drop a smaller wheel in the back? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or with our bikes, you can adjust it so we can test. Yeah. Um, exact same bike, same frame, same suspension. Uh, change the wheel, change the little mutator chips, and yeah, keep right. everything the same. It's interesting, like I, this week, I've been riding my Mega 275 for three days, and I jumped on my Canyon Strive, and the mm. Strive feels great. Like, I love both those bikes, but riding some of the trails there, it was like, this Strive feels brilliant, like 29, yeah. just roll over. But then, like, I rode little Champery, and it was more, not necessarily the steep bits, it's more soaking up bumps, where, like, I'm 5'10", so I'm pretty average height, and I will start rubbing my ass on the back tyre. <laughs> But I guess half of that is just because I'm not used to it. So after a while I get used to it, but mm. it sometimes feels like it limits me a little bit. It's, it's hard to know where the cutoff point is for height or if it's just a case of getting used to riding that bike. Yeah, well, there's yeah, a lot of other factors involved. I've only had that problem on downhill bikes. Yeah. Um, normally casing jumps <laughs> right. really hard. Yeah. And then when the bike's bottomed out, <laughs> it's got so much travel that that Rear wheel really gets close to it. Right, yeah, yeah, and no, then, I thought about that. Like, obviously trying to absorb the, the impact. And... I know that's what happened with G when he, did he break his pelvis at Fort William? I think his first time he was riding a 29 a downhill yeah. bike and literally first jump, a tiny jump, but he, I think actually not bottoming out, just soaking up and he stuck his ass into rear tire yeah. and boom, job done. So it's... Yeah, I had a couple of those like casing the jump. And yeah. Then when the tire hits your ass, it like breaks. Stops. Tire, yeah. And then it's the same as pulling your brake in the air yeah. when you start heading. Well, towards the front door. Gnarly. <laughs> what about e-bikes? Uh, I I love it. I I sort of went through a phase of really loving it and only riding it, and now it's like it's almost on the back burner a little bit. I'm back to enjoying pedaling my bike. 
must be lazy. <laughs> I feel like that is fading away, that whole like cheetah bike thing, but yeah. I don't know. You can, if you do want to be lazy, you can use them to be lazy. But yeah. I found in riding with other people that everyone seems to put in the same amount of effort as they would on a normal bike. Yeah. So if you're, some, if you're someone who pushes really hard on the climbs on a normal bike, you're not going to jump on an e-bike and just yeah, cruise up and keep your heart rate low. You're going to push up and try and get up more like more difficult climbs or go up them faster or do more laps. Uh, yeah, I love e-bikes. I ride them. What, ride what them sort the of, yeah, percentage-wise, e-bikes to normal bikes do you ride? At the, mo <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> not many e-bikes because my e-bikes got stolen from the Nikolai factory two yeah. weeks ago. So just normal bikes at the moment, but when my new bike arrives, probably 50-50. Yeah. yeah. I always think this is a great place for it, for oh, yeah. winching yourself up or just going out on a big day, like, you know, riding an eco and just getting out there a bit further maybe than you would. Yeah, I like to, yeah, to start with, I really like just doing laps because you could do more, more runs. Sometimes I'd like take a backpack with two more batteries and <laughs> yeah. do like, I think one day I did three, no, four runs to the Nato the Basin back. Yeah. I think that was 98 kilometers. Whoa. In five hours, and that's... Yeah, if anyone thinks e-bikes are lazy, do that. And yeah, the fourth time you're going up there, even with the battery, you're like... And coming down, it's a physical <laughs> thing. Like, I like the weight of, it, of an e-bike for bombing down yeah. the hills, but it does feel like my body's getting a workout rather yeah. compared to a normal bike. And yeah. you're seeing the, the wave of people coming on e-bikes here? Yeah, there's a lot more people coming on the e-bikes. Still less, I'm going to call them, serious riders, more. Yeah, right. Recreational riders, older riders that are using them, but uh, yeah, more and more serious riders, younger riders, racers are starting to, starting to use them. Makes you wonder how tourism is going to embrace e-bikes, the whole flying with them and, you know, you sort of need to rent a battery and see how that changes. Yeah. And, uh, Nikolai as well. So they've, have they got a belt drive? Yeah, we've got uh, two options. We've got the normal chain drive with the Dorelia or yeah. the Rollhoff, Rollhoff 14-speed yeah, right. okay. gear hub with a belt drive, Gates carbon drive. It's cool to see Nikolai. Uh, they built Martin's random tandem and that mm. is such a beast of a thing to make. So <laughs> yeah. where, where are they based? They're based in Elza, which is a tiny little village near to... Hanover, Hildesheim. Hanover's the closest city, about one hour, one hour and a half away. And they're pretty open to ideas, are they, of like what you yeah. think, how they could potentially improve or? Yeah, so like we talked a little bit earlier about geometry, with a current bike, it's, you can adjust it to go over the extreme to the extreme. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we've all pretty much hit the limits of that. Um, we're trying out a few different things with bottom bracket height and yeah, wheel sizes, but that's pretty much finished now. So we are working on a few more projects for next year that are oh, okay. really interesting, but... Top secret. Top secret. I don't know how, what I can say, but <laughs> let's just say gearbox related. Right, okay. Um, interesting it's been like the gearbox has been on the back burner forever now really and people want to see it it's just not really happened yeah 
What do you think is the next big thing, if other than gearboxes? Apart from gearboxes? Yeah. Hmm. I think we settled down on wheel size. Yeah. I think that there's still a few more years to go in improving geometry from other brands that are catching up. Yeah, you see it one or two degrees sort of per year, per product yeah. cycle. Our bikes have been essentially the same for five years now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess more gear, uh, more e-bikes and some gearbox solution. Derelias are absolutely incredible at the moment. Yeah. The, the way they shift, the way they, they are pretty reliable, electronic shifting, weight, efficiency is all unbelievable job that these big companies, Tram, Shimano, have done. Mm. But I still think it's just in the wrong place. It's funny, yeah. The back of the bike is... I haven't broken one for a long time, but um, you see some people, uh, you know, really clumsy people like Jack stood behind the camera, <laughs> <laughs> who does break them. And like you fell off his e-bike and it's, you can see the dirt on the rear mech yep. where it's just slammed into the ground and bent the hanger. So, you know, clumsy people will always break them. Yeah, I snapped one last week. That was a 30 minute walk home. Yeah, not cheap as well, I guess. Not cheap, yeah. So what's the future for you, staying in Finale, or do you see yourself back in Dudley? Probably not going to go back to Dudley. I'm actually going back on Monday. Uh, right. To the black country. <laughs> Peaky blinders territory. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try and stay here. See what happens with Brexit. Yeah, right. I might have to move back to a cave. Whoa. One of the caves in Dudley and live there. <laughs> Who knows, on that note. Uh, cheers, Paul. Um, this podcast is available on YouTube, Stitcher, Deezer, Stitcher, maybe not, Deezer, iTunes, Spotify, all the great podcast providers. Right, catch you next time.